Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're teaching on these uh, Wednesday night service, a series on how to be led by the Spirit of God. And we're using as a text scripture two uh, verses in chapter 8 of Romans and in Proverbs chapter 20. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16 tells us how he leads us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now, Proverbs twenty twenty seven says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. I like, uh, uh, I don't like paraphrases very much, but every now and then something will be said or phrased in such a way that they just get it right, and it's a real blessing to me. And there's a, a new paraphrase, or relatively new, a paraphrase of uh, Proverbs twenty twenty seven that I really like. It says, the spirit of man is the guiding lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, we found, we've talked a little bit about the three-part, uh, the threefold nature of man, the fact that man is a three-part being. First Thessalonians 5.23, Paul said, by the Holy Ghost, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. And we found also in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, we know that man is born again when he makes Jesus the Lord of his life, and things change. But what things change? The Bible says the spirit of man is born again. Jesus said in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we know, therefore, that the spirit of man is reborn at the new birth experience. But the fact that the Bible tells us in a couple of places, one of the main ones is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it gives born-again, spirit-filled believers two directives. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then verse 2 tells us the second directive, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, here's the significance of that, folks. We know that man is a three-part being. He is a spirit. He has a soul. The Bible defines the soul as the mind, the will, and the emotions. And he lives in a body. But those that are born again, the born-again experience, the new birth, has absolutely no effect on the body of man. It has absolutely no effect on the soul of man, the mind, the will, and the emotions. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That means his spirit is made new. And all spiritual things... Old spiritual things pass away and all spiritual things become new. But not mental things. Not physical things. And the Bible never says anywhere about God leading us through the physical body. Or even leading us through the mind. It says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now back to Romans chapter four, chapter 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Every child of God has a right I believe it goes further. I believe every child of God has a responsibility to be led by the Holy Ghost. But when you talk about being led by God or God speaking to you, God directing you or something like that, 
you become an oddity even among Christians. Most Christians will look at you like you're crazy if you talk about having heard from God or having been directed by God to do something because most of the church does what they want to do according to their flesh or according to their minds and they say God told them to do it. And rarely, if ever, does it work out right. And then so they're left confused. They may have thought that God wanted them to do it, but then when it didn't work, they don't know what to think about God's leading. So we see that the mind is not affected by the new birth, the new birth experience, and the body is not affected by the new birth experience. That means if we're going to be led by the Holy Ghost, we're going to have to develop our spirits. We're going to have to develop a sensitivity in spirit. Now, there's a, there's a word in verse 14 of Romans chapter 8 that's interesting. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That word sons literally means adult sons. Now, there are different words you can use for children or sons or offspring designations. But Paul is instructed by the Holy Ghost, inspired by the Holy Ghost, to use a word that implies that being led by the Spirit of God is a part of maturing spiritually. It's a part of spiritual development. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the maturing sons of God. Well, that should indicate to us the importance and the need to develop ourselves so that we hear and know the voice of God. Now, if we're going to be led by the Holy Ghost by the inward witness, we need to identify what is that inward witness. We've got a real good example of it over in Acts chapter 19 in the life and the ministry of Paul. Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. He spends a longer period of time in Ephesus than he does any of the other places that he visited and any of the other churches that he established. He has the greatest revival in Ephesus of anywhere that he's ever been. And it tells us after one uh, significant event where the whole city turns out and commits themselves to God in a new way. We'll start in verse 20. It says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And after these things, these things that brought on the revival and the move of God and so forth, and after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit. Now notice that phrase. He purposed in the Spirit. When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now hold your finger here. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 19. But look back with me to Acts chapter 16. Paul's on his missionary journey. Second missionary journey. Which in one respect, in this respect, was the most important one that he took of the three journeys. Because it tells us as he was ministering and going along the way that he thought he should go. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia, or Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and notice this phrase, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. How? Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring Luke, who was part of the company, to record that the Holy Ghost didn't want them to go one direction. One specific direction toward Asia. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost not to, to preach the word in Asia. Now, folks, if there was writing in the sky that said, don't go to Asia. And Luke didn't tell us. He's done us a disservice. If there was some kind of spectacular manifestation. 
a vision or an angel or Jesus appearing to him saying, I don't want you to go here. If Luke didn't give us record of that, then he's done us a disservice. The fact that it says they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, we have to assume, I believe, that this is the same kind of leading, the same kind of direction that God leads all of his children, and that is by the inward witness. Now, notice in this case, the Holy Ghost told them where not to go. He didn't tell them where to go. He told them where not to go. See, sometimes the leading of the Holy Ghost is stop or not here. Sometimes the leading of the Holy Ghost is just a check, a red light on the inside, an inward knowing this is not the thing to do or this is not the way to do it. Obviously, that's what happened here with them. Let's keep reading a couple of verses. They know if I can't go into Asia, we're going to have to pick another direction. Verse 7, and after they were come to Mysia, they assayed. The word assayed means attempted. In other words, they're making their own plans. Now, notice here something, folks, before we go any further. They don't have to get God to tell them to go. Jesus already said go. Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel. See, a lot of people are waiting for the Lord to tell them go. And he already said go 2,000 years ago. The only question for Paul and his company is where, not what, not even how. The question is where. And God seems to care about where. God seems to care about their success. They're going to be more successful in certain places than they will at other places at certain times. God's got a plan. Well, if God cares more about Paul's success than he cares about yours, then the Bible's a lie when it says he's no respecter of persons. See, God wants you to succeed in whatever he's given you to do. What he's given them to do is minister. I'm not exactly sure what he's given you to do, what his life plan for you is, but whatever it is, he wants you to be a success at it. And you can expect, therefore, the Holy Ghost to direct you, to show you where to be, how to operate, and specifically what steps to take in order to be successful. Or else God is really a respecter of persons, even though the Bible says he's not. So when they're forbidden of the Holy Ghost, and again, this has to be an inward witness, or else the Lord would have told us otherwise. Holy Ghost would have given us record otherwise. When they try to go one place and the Holy Ghost says, no, don't go into Asia. And they turn around and try to go in a different direction. They don't sit on their hands and say, oh, well, we don't know what to do now. Here God's changed our plans, so we'll, we're stuck. We'll just stay here on the edge of Galatia until we hear from God. No, they're on the move. They just pick a different direction. Let me say it this way. So many times people are looking for circumstances to show them the direction of God. They want God to lead them through the body. They want God to lead them through something that affects their five physical senses. Here's a door that shuts. What do they do? Folks, when a door shuts, open another door. They're doors. That's how they work. Sometimes they close, sometimes they open. But if you're looking for God to lead you through open and shut doors, 
you're going to be susceptible in, in, uh, susceptible to deception. You're going to be easily misled because the devil can open and shut doors too. So they come to a roadblock. Holy Ghost says, don't preach the word in Asia. What do they do? They pick another direction and go there. They look around and say, well, we plan to go to Asia. We can't go there. Where else would we going to go? Let's go into Bithynia. Notice the phrase at the end of verse 7, but the Spirit suffered them not. How? Can't be spectacular. Can't be a vision. Can't be riding in the sky or any physical condition that they could look at and say, hey, this is the thing. Still another inward witness. Now, here's two times the Holy Ghost says, don't go there. Why didn't the Holy Ghost just tell them the first time, go here instead? Why didn't the Holy Ghost tell them before they ever started on this missionary journey, here's where I want you to go, and after that I want you to go here, and after that I want you to go there? Because God doesn't always operate the way we think he should. And if you knew every step to take, just like if they had known every step to take, where's walking by faith come in? See, some folks will never be any good at being led by the Holy Ghost because they're not willing to walk by faith. They think they've got to have everything all figured out. Well, you can't figure out everything anyway. So you might as well just give up and yield to him. Because his way is always better than yours anyhow. So now they try to go into, they first tried to go into Asia. And the Holy Ghost says, no, don't go there. By the inward witness. Then they want to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Ghost says, don't go there by the inward witness. So they passed by Mysia and came down to Troas. I guess it's late in the day, so they wind up going to sleep. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed, saying, Come over here into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored. Notice this phrase in verse 10. After he, Paul, had seen the vision in the night, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. That tells me that Paul must have told everybody, here's the vision I had. What do you all think about this? Otherwise, wouldn't Luke have written? Paul had the vision and said, I know where we're supposed to go. Guys, pack up. No room for discussion, no room for debate. But they all agreed that the Lord was wanting us, meaning them, to go into Macedonia and preach the gospel there. So that's what they do. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and next day to Neapolis, and we went down to the Philippi, which is the chief city of Macedonia. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city of our river side where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened as she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't they see the guy that they had seen in the vision? Why didn't they find him? See, they had a vision of a man in Macedonia, but they found a woman by the riverside. 
Now, I wonder which one in the company first thought, now, this is great. Lydia and these women are interested in the things of God, and we can preach the gospel unto them. But since we didn't find the man from Macedonia that Paul said he saw in the vision, and I'm thinking if it's me, if I'm Paul, I'm looking for him as soon as I get to town. Where is this guy that wanted us to come? They never find, we never have any record that he ever found the guy he saw in the vision. Was it not there for the leading of the Holy Ghost? Well, you know the trouble they get into. They're on the way to prayer when a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination cries after him day after day after day and said, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Finally, one day, Paul's grieved in his spirit. In other words, he's prompted by the Holy Ghost to do something about it. A lot of people would wonder, why didn't he do something the first day? Because he wasn't impressed of the Holy Ghost to do anything. See, folks, you can take care of the devil in your own life, but when it comes to taking care of the devil in somebody else's life, that's a different story. You're either going to have to have their will their permission to do something their desire to do something about it or else it's going to have to be a move of the Holy Ghost a special manifestation of the Holy Ghost for you to have power over anything the devil's doing against somebody else well day after day after day we don't know how many it was it says this happened many days I'm not sure how many is how many many is you get the point But there comes a day where the Holy Ghost impresses Paul and says, do something about this. So he casts the devil out of this little girl. They wind up being thrown in jail and beaten. Haven't seen the man from Macedonia yet. Now that would be a perfect time to complain about Paul's leading. Everybody's in jail with their backs bleeding. Be a good time to wonder if that dream was really from God or if it was just something bad you had the day before. Something you ate that disagreed with you in the night. See, folks, sometimes the leadings of the Holy Ghost aren't the way that we think they were going to be. The Holy Ghost gave them what they needed to know to go to the place he wanted them to be. Was it exact in every detail? No. Was it supposed to be? Apparently not. They fulfilled what God had for them to do. All right, let's go back to to Acts chapter 19. Notice in this uh, example we just used, had an inward witness, they followed an inward witness, followed another inward witness, and then they had something a little bit more spectacular to bring them direction. Acts chapter 19, again, verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. This is his third missionary journey. There's been about a year and a half period of time transpired between the beginning of Acts chapter 19 and the end of Acts chapter 16. Paul's still looking to be led by the Holy Ghost. Now, if you look this verse 21 up in in other translations, it's kind of a tough scripture. Because most other translations just stick with the King James and use the word purposed. 
Some will use the word decided. Others will use the word determined. But nobody else, other than the King James translation that I found, attributes anything to the working of the Holy Ghost in this. They just credit it to Paul's own choice about what he wants to do. But I want you to notice the words purposed in the spirit. Richelieu's translation, I like it. It says, after these things were ended, the spirit of God moves Paul to plan to go to Jerusalem. I like that. I think that's the closest of anything that I've read to what's really going on and what the Holy Ghost is trying to communicate to us. After these things were ended, the spirit of God moved Paul to plan. How do you do that? Now, we see the results in Paul's life of being led by the Holy Ghost. But we have to ask the question, if we expect the same success in whatever God leads us to do or wants us to do in life, as Paul had in in God's plan for him, we've got to ask the question, how did these things happen? And if we can identify that, if we can determine how the Spirit of God moved Paul to plan, then we can recognize when the Holy Ghost is moving on us to make plans. If we can determine how the Holy Ghost forbade Paul to go into Asia and suffered him not to go into Bithynia, then we can understand how the Holy Ghost will direct us or stop us from going the wrong direction and so forth. I hope you're with me. After these things were ended, the Spirit of God moved Paul to plan. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Now, here's another interesting thought. In the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, the Holy Ghost said, don't go into Asia. A year and a half, two years later, the Holy Ghost sends him to Asia. And he has the greatest revival in any place we have record of that he went. Timing must have something to do with this, too. So it tells us about uh, the riot that takes place in, uh, in Ephesus. We won't read through all that. Paul wants to go in to the theater and answer for himself, but they won't let him do that. They're afraid the crowd will tear him apart. Uh, let's start reading in, uh, well, let's start in chapter 20. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called to him to the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go to Macedonia. Now he's finally going to get around to what he's, the Holy Ghost had moved him to, to plan to do. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And he abode there three months. Now, folks, I want you to see something about the Holy Ghost's direction and Paul's response to the Holy Ghost moving him to plan about what to do. He's making, taking steps to go where God wants him to do, but he's not in a hurry. He's learned the timing is important. He's taking it day by day and week by week. Now he knows that God wants him to go to, through Macedonia to Jerusalem and then to finally get to Rome. That's as much direction as he's got. But he's not running off trying to get it done before the end of the week. There's a verse in the Old Testament in Isaiah it said, he that believeth maketh not haste. H-A-S-T-E. People that are in faith don't get in a hurry. 
And that's one of the most important issues, one of the most important aspects of being led by the Holy Ghost that you can ever learn. Because the devil wants you to hurry, 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 hurry. Because he knows if he can get you hurrying, he can get you operating according to your thinking and your emotions. And it clutters things up so that you can't get clear direction from your heart. Your spirit stops being your candle and your, your understanding or your thinking does. So Paul goes to Greece and stays in Greece for three months. Seems like he's sure taking his time, doesn't it? Then something happens that stirs him. Again, moves him on his journey. When the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into the city, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Here he's purposing again. Now what causes Paul to, be, to purpose this time? Does the Holy Ghost move on him to plan? Now he finds out certain people are trying to kill him. So then he decides to go back to Macedonia and on his way. And it tells us who, who followed it with him and so forth. Uh, it tells us about the guy being raised from the dead in his ministry. Falls out of the window and so forth. Mm-hmm. Skip down with me to verse 22. Chapter 20, verse 22. Paul calls for the elders of Ephesus. He tells them this is the last time he's ever going to see them. And then he tells them in verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit. Notice that phrase, bound in the Spirit. That has to mean I know I'm doing what the Holy Ghost wants me to do, doesn't it? What else would bound in the Spirit be? He didn't even say this is what I want to do. He says, Now I go bound in the Spirit under Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall fall me there. So if the Holy Ghost has moved him to go, moved him to plan to go to Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to end up in Rome, notice the Holy Ghost doesn't tell him what's going to happen in Jerusalem except for one thing. Here's the only thing that he knows. Notice the next verse, verse 23, I believe it is. Save or accept. Here's the only thing that he knows what's going to happen. Save or accept that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. That means every city he's been to over the last three or four months in Greece and other places, if he's being literal in what he's telling the elders of Ephesus. That means every city he's gone into, somebody there has witnessed to him by the Holy Ghost. Here's what's going to happen when you get to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen when you get to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing I want you to notice, folks. When we started off in chapter 19, Paul purposed in the Spirit. The Spirit of God moved Paul to plan, saying, after I've got to go back to Macedonia, and after there I go to Jerusalem, and after that I'm going to see Rome. That's all we know. We don't have any indication that he knows anything else that's going to take place. But now some four months later, four or five months later perhaps, Paul is in a place where he's recounting, recounting to the elders at Ephesus what God wants him to do. And now he knows that he knows that he knows that he knows. By the witness of the Holy Ghost. Not just what he had in his heart to begin with perhaps. But by the witness of the Holy Ghost through other people in every city. It's got to be through other people. The Holy Ghost is witnessing to him in every city. The bonds and afflictions await him in Jerusalem. 
Now, most of the people that I know that claim to love the Lord and want to serve him, that'd be enough for them to turn into a new direction. That'd be enough for them to say, well, here's the Holy Ghost forbidding me to go to Jerusalem again. Just like he wouldn't let me go into Asia. He didn't want me to go to Jerusalem. Just like he didn't want me to go into Bithynia. Now he doesn't want me to go to Jerusalem. And he shows me again and again and again by the Holy Ghost that this is what's going to happen if I go to Jerusalem. Well, what's the natural conclusion? Don't go to Jerusalem. But notice the next verse. But none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Notice he doesn't say it's not the Holy Ghost. Notice he doesn't say these people aren't really witnessing to me by the Holy Ghost. He recognizes it's an operation of the Spirit of God. But he knows that what the Holy Ghost is witnessing to him through other people could not and should not override what he already knows on the inside. Now, folks, I want to remind you of something. Romans 8, 14 that we started with says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It does not say, For as many as are led by prophets, they are the sons of God. It does not say, For as many as are led by prophecies, they are the sons of God. Now, folks, I would have to classify whatever the Holy Ghost, whatever way the Holy Ghost is witnessing to Paul in these different cities, city after city after city, telling him this is what's going to happen. Not only would it be a word of wisdom, but the communication of it would be a prophecy. They're inspired by the Holy Ghost to reveal to Paul what's going to happen in the future. Is Paul led by the prophecy? Is Paul led by the word of wisdom that he's received? We have to acknowledge that it's supernatural. There's no way that people in these cities would know what's going to happen except the Holy Ghost show them. But notice Paul's not led by what the Holy Ghost reveals to other people. I don't think you can overemphasize that point. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Well, if these things, if these supernatural occurrences, if these supernatural events, these prophecies and these revelation gifts don't move him, what does move him? Same thing that moved him to start with. That which the Holy Ghost moved him to plan. That which the Holy Ghost witnessed to his heart to do. I see more in Paul's life and ministry and character in these verses than perhaps any other verses in the New Testament. Paul knows trouble is ahead, but he knows more what the Holy Ghost is directing him to do. So he's not moved by the trouble that waits for him. He's only moved by the Holy Ghost directing him. If we could develop that kind of strength of character, then we could get his kind of results. Turn with me over to chapter 21. Let's start in verse 8. The next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, meaning one of the seven deacons that the Bible tells us about in the early part of the book of Acts. 
which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. That means to speak by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. This is not me talking, Agabus says. This is the Holy Ghost giving direction or bringing revelation. Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, Luke's talking about himself. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place. Now, they of that place is Philip and his seven daughters who would prophesy. They know the voice of the Holy Ghost too. When we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, the only person that doesn't mention here is Agabus. They were in Philip's house, and Philip had these seven daughters that uh, seven daughters who uh, prophesied. You got Paul's company, and you got Agabus. Paul's company, Philip, and the seven daughters besought him, begged him, "Don't go to Jerusalem." But it doesn't say a word about what Agabus said. Now, I see in this an understanding on Agabus' part by declaring that this is what the Holy Ghost is saying. He keeps himself out of it. He just said, this is what the Holy Ghost said. He doesn't put his own interpretation on it. I'm sure he cares and has concern for Paul and doesn't want him to suffer, doesn't want him to be bound or imprisoned. But he knows enough by being in the ministry office of the prophet not to try to give direction to somebody else based on what the Holy Ghost said. Have you noticed that most of the people that claim to be prophets nowadays always want to give people direction? They always want to tell somebody what God's telling them to do. How come the New Testament example of a prophet didn't do that here? Because this New Testament prophet understood that as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, not as many as are led by prophets. He understood that his ministry office was not to give direction to others. Now, in the Old Testament, prophets would give direction. People would go and seek the prophets for direction because they didn't have the Holy Ghost within them. Only people under the Old Covenant that had the Holy Ghost was the king, the priest, and the prophet. So if they're going to hear from God, they're going to have to hear from somebody that has the Spirit of God upon them. But that's not the case for us. Now we've got the Lord, the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us. We've got the direction of God dwelling within us. Yet so many Christians would rather have somebody tell them what to do or what they think rather than take the time to develop themselves spiritually and come to know the will of the Lord in their life. So when we heard those things, Luke said, we and they of that place, Philip and his daughters, besought him, begged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered. He's the one being begged to change his plans. Then Paul answered, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice verse 14. 
It said, and when he would not be persuaded, we couldn't talk him out of going to Jerusalem. Now, he knows what's going to happen. He's had the Holy Ghost witness supernaturally in city after city after city what's going to happen. Now, a prophet, a man that he has uh, respect for and man he has confidence in, comes down and says, by the Holy Ghost, here's what's going to happen to the man that owns this girdle. He's going to be bound. But Paul would not be persuaded. Why would Paul not be persuaded to change his plans? And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We gave up. He didn't persuade them. I'm sorry. They didn't persuade him. So they gave up. Now, why did they give up? We gave up. We ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. What does that tell us that Paul did when they were trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem? He convinced them this is the plan of God. Just because they're going to put me in chains doesn't mean God doesn't want me to go. Now that takes a pretty strong man to recognize that trouble is not enough reason in and of itself to turn around. Now here's another question for you. What do you think Paul wanted to do? Would anybody in their right mind want to be thrown in jail and bound? He's been there before. He was there in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Beaten. Backs bloodied. Hands and feet and stocks and chains. What did he do the last time he was in prison? At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. What do you think they prayed about? What any normal person would pray about when they were in jail. Lord, get me out of here. You think he wants to relive that experience? If so, he's taken one too many blows to the head. He doesn't want to go to prison, folks. He doesn't want to go to Jerusalem and be thrown in jail. He doesn't want any of these things to take place. But he's convinced that it's the will of God for his and the purpose of God for his life and his ministry. I'm sure one way that he was convinced that it was the Lord leading him is because he was able to identify his own desires of not wanting to go. If Paul didn't want to go to Jerusalem, but there was something on the inside telling him that's what he was supposed to do, that has to be God. You're not going to tell yourself to do something you don't want to do. Are you with me? Well, it happens just the way that he's, just the way the Holy Ghost directed. He winds up going to Jerusalem. He's put in jail, goes to Rome. And the result is we've got letters written to the church, the prison epistles written to the church that make up the majority of our scripture, our Holy Bible. It was God's plan all along. Now, why? Was God wanting to hurt Paul? No. But God's plan and purpose is so much greater and his wisdom is so much greater than anything we can figure out. If we can learn to be led by this inward witness in the same degree that Paul was, we can learn to get the same results. Amen? 
Let me close with one scripture. Look with me to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Remember Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord or the guiding lamp of the Lord, one paraphrase says, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Notice in Psalm 18, verse 28. It says, the Lord will light my candle. He will enlighten my darkness. Now, folks, this has to be fulfilled by the work of Jesus. John 1, 4 says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. What's he telling us? He's telling us the new new birth, the new creation in Christ. Lights your candle. It brings illumination to your spirit. It brings access to the guidance and the direction of the Holy Ghost within. We can learn to develop a sensitivity to that inward witness. We can be successes in anything and everything we can do. We'll be, a victor- we'll be victorious in everything that we endeavor. We'll be a success in every area of life. Well, next time we'll give you some examples of being led by the Holy Ghost and of the inward witness. Try to make it a little bit more plain. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Now say this after me. I am born of God. The Holy Ghost lives in me. He dwells in my spirit. And bears witness with my spirit to give me direction and to lead me into victory. I am led by the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.